On this episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I'm pleased to be joined by Pat Ross III, National Membership Coordinator at Team Rubicon, to discuss his work recruiting veterans to volunteer in disaster response operations around the world. And it's, it's addicting. Yeah, when we do operations here and you can see what we're delivering and how we're impacting and helping people on what's usually the worst day of their life, it's hard not to want to keep doing that. Welcome to the Nonprofit Ready Podcast conversations with accomplished professionals from across the nonprofit sector about what they do, why they do it, and how they make change happen. I am your host, Justin Woodell from nonprofitready.org and the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Pat Ross III, National Membership Coordinator at Team Rubicon, a nonprofit organization giving military veterans the opportunity to continue their service through disaster response. Pat, thanks for being with us today. Well, thank you very much. I'm really excited to share Team Rubicon's story. Yeah, and it's a story that I absolutely love, and we're going to be spending a lot of time talking about everything going on at Team Rubicon, but I actually want to start by going back a few years to talk about your background. So like most of the staff and volunteers here at Team Rubicon, you served in the military. Could you tell us about that experience? I would love to. So I served in the Marine Corps for six years, and it was one of the most aggressive and influential times in my life. So upon graduating from the Ohio State University. I went in the Marine Corps and for three deployments worked with infantry battalions, foreign nationals, foreign militaries, other Marines and sailors to train and assist those so they can uh, accomplish their own victories and really push forward their objectives as units. And it really shaped my ability to see how working with others can, can drive an impact. Did you ever feel pressure to go into other fields or did you always know that service, whether it was with the military or with Team Rubicon, was what you wanted to do? I've never felt pressure. I I enjoy being part of organizations which contribute, which have an identity, which have a purpose. And just like in the Marine Corps at Team Rubicon, when you work, you see and feel the impact of what you're doing. It's energizing and it really allows you to keep pushing forward and keep solving problems and keep helping other people. And it's it's addicting. You know, when we do operations here and you can see what we're delivering and how we're impacting and helping people on what's usually the worst day of their life, it's hard to it's hard not to want to keep doing that. Mm-hmm. And after the military, you returned to school to complete your MBA, again at The Ohio State University. Did you know you would land with a nonprofit afterward? What was your plan going into that? So you assume that I had a plan, and that's part of the reason why I went to business school. Uh, I needed I needed two years to kind of recalibrate. My own fault. I should have had a plan, but I knew that by going back to school, I could find a way to find a purpose and find an identity. And fortunately, uh, I stumbled upon Team Rubicon because of one of my good friends, who with whom I served in Afghanistan and North Carolina. But no, I didn't. I can't say that I was anticipating going to a nonprofit lifestyle. It kind of punched me in the face, and I'm glad it did. Yes. And for people who aren't familiar with Team Rubicon, could you tell us about the mission and some examples of the work of your disaster response teams? So Team Rubicon unites the skills and experiences of military veterans with the first responders to rapidly deploy emergency response teams all throughout the globe. And our primary purpose is to help people when Mother Nature has dealt a devastating blow. So right now we have about 20,000, or excuse me, 28,000 volunteers 
who have go bags packed, who are continuously training and who are ready to deploy within their community or within the nation or across the globe to help help people when they need it most. And it's all volunteers, which is probably the most incredible aspect of this organization is these folks are willing to give up time, talent, treasure to go help out others. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about your current role. Your title is National Membership Coordinator. So for a moment, imagine you're at a conference and you meet a couple of people who also work in the nonprofit sector. How do you explain your job to them? So what I do is I take people from their first click into our portal, into our website, and get them onto the ground. So we mobilize people nationally, and that's what my team is primarily responsible for doing, is taking the individual who has a drive to serve and to give back to his community and getting that individual on the ground when they're needed in the most responsible, safe, and uh, financially reasonable way, and then to get them back on the next operation when that happens again. Now, I notice you use the term members rather than volunteers. Why is that? Well, we are a team, and team members all contribute. While everyone here is a volunteer, the amount of time and talent that this team brings to the table, they're more than volunteers. They participate in decision-making. They participate in execution. They participate in new, new initiatives, and it's really contributing to the overall Team Rubicon community. So the word volunteer is accurate, but all the things that the volunteers do uh, bring them up to the level of a team member. So you're facilitating a lot of growth, not only for the organization, but for the members who are serving with it. Could you tell me about what a typical day looks like for you? Yeah, it's usually pretty fun. Uh, Lots of yelling. I think I smash my keyboard at least once a day. But generally, half my day is uh, filled coordinating operational support. So right now, we're capable of running 10 simultaneous operations. We're going to get to 10, hopefully by the end of this year. And a lot of that has to do with moving people throughout the country, identifying unique individuals with specific skill sets, troubleshooting some technology, and just facilitating what the operators on the ground are doing. And then the rest of the day is spent uh, talking with other aspects of the organization on how we're going to keep scaling. So coordinating with marketing, communications, other departments on scaling the organization to meet the needs and expectations of 75,000 volunteers so that we can continue to be the best in class and deliver disaster response, disaster aid as quickly and effectively as possible. A lot of organizations want to scale their volunteer initiatives. What are some of the key things you consider when thinking about scaling Team Rubicon? So my primary focus is humanizing a process. So right now we're on track to hit 75,000 volunteers within the next few years. And our system is very technology heavy. Uh, we, and that's part of the reason that we can scale and respond so quickly is we utilize over 10 cloud-based software systems that really give us an advantage in the field. So that in itself is very tech heavy and humanizing what can often be a transactional process is very important to keeping the member experience as high as we can. So we can all, we all experience bad service when we try to do something on our app or on the phone or on the computer, and we become easily frustrated. Well, imagine you're a Team Rubicon member and something happened in your community and you want to get out to the field because it's your community 
and you have an obligation and you want to be there to help your team and your, your community. But for whatever reason, the internet or our computer programs aren't cooperating. The level of frustration is overwhelmingly high because there's an emotional component to it. So we're actively striving to humanize that process so that we can get people you know, out the door quicker without, you know, with all positive experiences, without the negative. I know it's a very large answer, but could you give us just a little bit of insight as to what it looks like to humanize some of these processes? Sure. So some of it is just being conscious of the emotional component of what this experience looks like in front of a screen, right? So it's not like Pat is in person saying, hey, man, I appreciate your willingness to deploy, but we can't. Let's go grab a beer or, you know, handshake and a hug. It's all done electronically. And a lot of the human component of that is lost. So every little way that we can make that you know, more meaningful experience, both when we're pulling people in for operations or asking people to stand down and wait for the next one. So we have the opportunity to do that, and we're, you're, we're always seeking ways to make it more of an enriching experience. Mm-hmm. So you spend a lot of time working with technology and working from HQ. How often are you out in the field? Uh, <laughs> David Burke never lets me leave. Uh, he's my <laughs> he's my boss. So I've only been able to deploy to one operation. I went up to Operation Humble Trooper in Pateras, Washington. I was in response to the wildfires. It was a very humbling and moving experience. Uh, Bob Obernier, the incident commander there, tried to work me to death. He will not get me down. I think I lost 10 pounds of sweat. Uh, it was intense. It was very humbling to see how volunteers from all over the country, and in this case, the world, uh, we had a few overseas folks come in, show up and help strangers. And that was my first experience uh, with that aspect of Team Rubicon. I've been working there here for almost six months and hadn't experienced that sense of community, that sense of purpose, and it was wild. We would wake up at 5.30 and you go basically just run your muscles to the ground for eight hours, and no one wanted to stop working. Right. They're like, no, we still got some of the tank. Let's keep doing. Let's finish this job. Let's help this homeowner. And then we go eat some chow. We have beers with the guys and gals. And then we'd reset for the next day. And it was just this constant energy of delivering impact and helping people. And the stories are incredible. The emotions were high. And while I was there, I think at least 15 people extended uh, their deployment from seven days to, for another seven. And that was just wild to me. Mm-hmm. And that story obviously had a big impact on you. How do you and the rest of the headquarters staff make sure that you stay in touch with the realities on the ground for your team members? We strive to get out on at least one deployment every year. And it's important for a variety of reasons. One is it's good to get out and do what the organization promises it does. It's also important to see our processes and systems in action. And from that perspective, and talking to the members on the ground, talking to the leaders and the regional staff, you can come back with a fresh perspective and start making tweaks and incorporating their feedback and the realities on the ground into our big organizational system. But it's also, it's the same reason why someone joins Team Rubicon. The, the purpose of getting out to the field and helping people in need, it's energizing. It's addicting, right? Like, that's why we joined Team Rubicon. And we're, we're just as much a part of that as a team member is. We want to feel that community, that sense of identity, and that purpose. Mm-hmm. 
With all of these competing priorities, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face? So the, the, the most challenging aspect we have right now um, is going back to scale. So we have so many qualified and enthusiastic team members who are able and willing to deploy. And I and we don't have enough slots to, to push them out on deployments. That's an organizational challenge we have, and we, we reduce it by uh, hosting training events and service projects and empowering and enabling smaller operations on a local level. But ultimately, that desire to serve, where can we put that? Where can we put them to work and to help others? And that's a challenge for us right now. In line with that, you know, I read a blog of yours in February of 2015 that spoke to how you're leveraging a lot of these volunteer opportunities as skills-based and skill-building opportunities. Could you tell me a little bit more about how you see uh, these volunteer opportunities, whether they're large-scale or small-scale, contributing to the broader careers of your volunteers? We have a tremendous depth of talent in the organization, and we have a lot of folks who are actively seeking to start new careers. I mean, part of the reason you join Team Rubicon is to redefine your purpose, to redefine your identity, and to rejoin a community. If you have an interest in a field, if you want to be a you know, practic practitioner of technology, or you want to be a chainsaw instructor, or you want to be on the international team, we've, we're developing pipelines to take you down each road so you can be a skilled practitioner, and that'll help the organization because it continues to professionalize what we're doing it offers a very distinct value proposition. It's not just a bunch of folks that want to do some good. We're bringing actual talent to the table, and that's that's a differentiator for us, and we're going to continue to push that to make us the best disaster response organization in the world. That in mind, you have a lot of irons in the fire. What are the most rewarding parts of your job? I love when we're mobilizing folks to go overseas or in a national operation. So this past one, we were deploying people in Nepal. It was exhilarating and it was rewarding watching everything come together. And we were able to move 60 folks within about 48 hours. So that's when we we're most energized. Unfortunately, because we we're doing that, a lot of other things, you know, had to take backseat to helping the people in Nepal. But watching the team come together, watching volunteers from all over the world raise their hand and say, send me was very powerful, and that made up for every bad day at Team Rubicon because on the day that we were needed most, we were able to deliver. That's awesome. And looking back at the past couple of years, what lessons do you wish you had known when you were first starting out as National Membership Coordinator? Aside from uh, learning how to use Excel, which I should have picked up at business school, uh, I really wish I had identified humanizing the process earlier. A lot of the pains and frictions that I encountered were from rapidly modifying processes to accommodate scale without realizing or feeling the impact to the individual. And where that's pushed us now is we are driving to ensure the individual experience is awesome by protecting the experience for 75,000. So as we, as we get that big, if the process can accommodate 75,000, it will then therefore accommodate the one. And that's very important to us. Mm -hmm. Beyond your intuition, how do you know if the process has been properly humanized? What are you doing to test? Our volunteers and our members and our regional staff and our state leaders 
are very invested in the organization and they let us know. So the past year, this is very cornerstone specific. So the past year, we, uh, we had not used the, the staging or the practice platforms at Cornerstone. We'd always do things live in production. And if I messed something up, like 2,000 people would let me know that it was broken. <laughs> so very direct feedback, and that's good. So we, we actively encourage it. We, mm-hmm. we How send do out, you encourage that feedback? So it's some very civil things. Uh, we send out post-deployment membership surveys after every operation. We have a regional and, and national leadership conferences where specific questions are asked about what's going awesome, what hurts. And then the leadership on deployments, you know, at the end of each day, they do debriefs and that gets funneled up through our after action reports and our daily reporting. And then we get out, we talk to folks. We, we have monthly huddles with our regional staff across all functional areas. You know, we invite feedback from all members uh, through the Cornerstone portal. And we monitor uh, all channels for that because there's a lot of ways to communicate with us and we have to be accepting of that and we want it. So we encourage it. And when something hurts or something's like WTF, uh, we want we want to know and we just ask for it mm-hmm. very simply. We ask for feedback a lot. Nice. So let's get a little bit more into the weeds about volunteer recruitment. How many volunteer members do you have today? And can you give our listeners a sense for how you segment or think about the different types of members in your organization? Right now we have just under 30,000. I hope by the end of the day we'll hit it. So if you're listening, please sign up. We, we segment really by who's willing to go to the field and who's an advocate and who's a brand ambassador. And when we pull those guys in, you know, if you want to go to the field and you want to go help people directly, it's very obvious because you participate in some online training. If you're a brand ambassador and you join the street team, you know we see you on social media, we see you in the community, and we appreciate uh, you selling Team Rubicon to the community. And then fundraising and the, uh, the other ambassadors like that, they participate in other ways by networking and making introductions for us. But the primary objective is always disaster response. And the segment of the members who participate in online training and then are therefore eligible to go on deployments, we uh, consistently share opportunities for training events in person, for social events, for service projects. And the primary objective of those social service and training events is to build camaraderie, build a team, so that when they go on a deployment, that's not the first time they've worked or socialized with somebody. And those bonds are stronger and they work more efficiently as a team and they get more done. Mm-hmm. What recruitment techniques have been most successful for you? Most of the Team Rubicon members hear about Team Rubicon from another Team Rubicon member. No surprise there. And we're very active on Facebook. About 50% of our intake comes from that. But generally, when you get an operation and you participate in Team Rubicon or you participate in a service project, it's hard not to share what you're doing with your friends, with your fellow veterans. So I heard about Team Rubicon from my now manager. So David Burke, uh, he was a Marine. We served together. And while I was at business school, he started volunteering here. He's like, hey, dude, like you got to check out this organization. Okay, roger that. And then shortly after business school, I was able to work here. It's no, that is a great example, right? 
we worked together in the Marines. We both got out. We're like, okay, now what? This is kind of boring. I don't have a uniform. I'm not really, you know, con- I don't feel like I'm contributing as much as I could. Where can I continue to, to offer something to the team? And through peer sharing, that's how we found out about it. So once that sharing's been done, once people know about the opportunity, what are you actually looking for when recruiting veterans to Team Rubicon? And what qualities have you seen in successful members? Enthusiasm. That's really it. I mean, it's a pretty simple process. You, if you're willing, you click into the website, you click into Roll Call, which is our volunteer portal, you're on the team. And what you want to contribute is up to you. So if you are, you know interested in marketing or you want to contribute to the graphics or you want to help out with finance or logistics or you're an expert photographer or you want to get dirty and sling some chainsaws, run some shovels, it's up to you. We invite all aspects of it. And you don't necessarily have to contribute a skill. So we often find uh, older veterans or older community members coming out and helping out where they can, whether they're driving a transportation van or they're manning the volunteer reception center. If you're willing to participate, then we'll find a job for you to do, and we'll find a way for you to deliver impact to the community in need. Now, once you're actually getting them in the queue and ready to process them for deployment, what does the onboarding and training program look like for veteran volunteers? It's shockingly simple. So you sign up online, you're you're in the Cornerstone portal, and the next thing we ask you to do is to take some online training. It's video-based, and it just shares the cultural team Rubicon, some of our baseline safety standards, and how we operate in the field. And what that does is that enables new volunteers, new team members who show up on a deployment to, to kind of know what's going to happen. And, and this goes back to our military roots where everyone was trained at a baseline standard so that when different units operated together, you didn't accidentally shoot them or run into each other. You could you can muscle through the problem because you, we're all trained to the same baseline. We do the same thing here, whether that's introductory, cultural, and operational training for the team member or baseline chainsaw training so that everyone's trained to the same, same minimal standard. And that enables folks from all over the country to work together. Mm-hmm. Now, after a veteran has gone on their first deployment, how do you keep them engaged with Team Rubicon? So when returning home, the energy is always high, and we want to get them back out as quickly as possible, you know, as reasonably possible to another event, because we want them to share the story of what they did on that deployment. So we offer a lot of training opportunities that are in person. Right now, they're primarily focused on chainsaw and heavy equipment, but we also do service projects at a local level. We partner with organizations like Habitat for Humanity and Boots for Building, and we offer social events as well. But our focus is always on you have a skill and we are as a team need to continue to work together so that when we deploy, we're already working smoothly and we know each other's strengths. We can cover for our weaknesses and we can continue to increase the pace of disaster relief. What does a successful volunteer manager look like on the ground? You know, you're doing a lot at HQ. When you're trusting someone to really run an operation effectively, manage those new volunteers, so the what's their skill set? Primary objective is personnel accountability. So ensuring that all the team members are on site, that they're safe, that we know when they're leaving, when they're coming in. So in order to be successful in that, 
you have to acknowledge that the person comes first and you have to, and we support that through technology. So all of the regional membership managers, my team out in the, the regions and the states, they're all practitioners of technology. These guys whip through spreadsheets like ninjas. I mean, they're awesome in that regard. So if you can facilitate personnel accountability and mobilization and logistics support through technology because it has to scale, then you're going to be very successful and you're going to make the organization faster. You're going to make the organization more effective. And ultimately, you're going to help deliver more aid when it's needed most. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that a lot of your volunteers are coming in through Facebook, 50% of them. What are you doing to empower volunteers to continue to share their stories and build that recruitment class? We ask very often for veteran reflections on operations. So if you'll, you'll see on our website or on our blog posts that people write from the field, and it's encouraged that you just share that experience, and most of them are very powerful. So when we're on ops, if there's an impactful moment uh, you know, somebody, usually a leader will say, hey, we saw this happen or who who had something awesome or meaningful happen to them? We'll put it down on paper. Well, actually, we asked them to type it uh, so we can set it up here. But that's really one of our most powerful ways to share what happens in the field. So what are your short and long-term goals for Team Rubicon and specifically your place at Team Rubicon? So for the next year, we're focused on refining our, our processes to keep up with the growth that we're experiencing, finding a way to accommodate the growing number of qualified members and finding ways to get them mobilized and out to the field faster. In the long term, we're looking at how do we grow to 75,000 members and how do we develop training pipelines to really hone the skills. So we have a lot of team members who have very specific skills and how do we take the individual with a qualification or certification and get the right person for the right job on the right deployment. And at 75,000, that's going to be an awesome challenge to face and we're really looking forward to it. These are huge goals. What are you doing personally to prepare? What are some of your personal challenges that you're excited to take on? So some of them are really simple as, or seemingly simple, as working with uh, tech partners and other companies to make things more mobile friendly and and cutting out some of the manual processes. Every time we can re, you know, cut out a step in a process, I get really excited. Uh, every time the process diagram shrinks, we get really excited. Every time I don't have to print off a piece of paper, I get really, really excited about that. Now, if you had one piece of advice for someone exploring a career at a nonprofit, what would it be? I would recommend that they ask themselves why they want to join the organization and to say it into the mirror. So before I interviewed with Team Rubicon, I spent two minutes talking to myself in the mirror and I had to rationalize to myself why I wanted this position. And it was a difficult two minutes. Uh, I don't personally like looking at myself. I love hearing myself talk, but saying it to my own face was a challenge. And I would offer that to anyone that is hustling for a a very aggressive job where it's a lot of stress but a lot of reward that you rationalize and justify why this is the career path for you. Now for listeners who want to learn more about Team Rubicon and how they can get involved or support, where should they go? Well, the first and most obvious is the website teamrubiconusa.org. I would also encourage you to follow us on Snapchat. 
it gives you a behind, <clears throat> excuse me, a behind the scenes look at what operations and daily life of the officer like. And then we are all over social media. I think our Twitter account is pretty amusing. I would highly recommend you check that out. And then if you're in the Los Angeles area and you want to swing by for a beer, uh, we would love to have you and host you. And I think parking's only about uh, $5 per hour. <laughs> we'll, we'll cover that for you. <laughs> uh, Pat Ross III is the National Membership Coordinator at Team Rubicon. Pat, thank you. This was awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate the opportunity to share our story. On the next episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I'll be joined by Karen Baker, Chief Service Officer at California Volunteers. Be sure to subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. Finally, be sure to sign up for NonprofitReady.org, our open online learning portal for nonprofit professionals, which includes more than 300 online learning resources, covering the most crucial job functions in the nonprofit sector, all 100% free. The Nonprofit Ready Podcast is a production of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. Thanks to our executive producer, Alec Green, our editorial director, Jeanette Lamb, our sound producer, Trung Nago, and most importantly, you, for helping us to build the Nonprofit Ready community. Learn more about our capacity building services at the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation at csodfoundation.org. Thanks again, and have a great day.